turn here to the Lord in prayer once again, and we're going to spend some time just praying for the situation over in Ukraine and in the East. And uh, I, I really do invite you during this time just to be praying your own prayers as I pray out loud, and pray them in the quietness of your hearts, and um, let's, let's join in unity together this morning in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are our hearts continue to weigh heavy this morning. Lord, as we watch and witness what's taking place in Ukraine. Lord, in some ways we want to say what's taking place to Ukraine. Lord, we lift before you all the people who are being impacted right now. We lift before you all those that are being impacted by this invasion. Lord, each one made in your image. Each one precious in your sight. We long, O Lord, for the word you spoke through your prophet Isaiah. When he said that weapons of war will be beaten into plowshares. When nation will no longer lift up sword against nation. O sovereign Lord, let it be so. Bring an end to what is taking place. Even in this very moment, Lord, I ask that you would draw close to Putin's heart. And Lord, help him repent and to call off what is taking place. We ask for peace to fall in this very moment. And and Lord, sometimes it's really, really hard to pray for our enemies. But Lord, you call us to do so. And Lord, we, we ask that you would draw close to those who aim to cause harm and distress. Lord, would you grant them a Damascus Road experience, we pray. Would scales fall off their, their eyes? Would you soften their hearts? Lord, that they would relent from what they're doing and what they are causing to happen. God, we ask for supernatural intervention. Lord, as, as weak and frail and flawed individuals, Lord, help us to rely upon you. Lord, you can change a nation in a day. Lord, we ask for provision for those in need. We ask for safety for those in danger. Peace for those fearful. Lord, comfort for those that are wondering are they ever going to see their loved one again? As fathers say goodbye to wives and children and parents. Lord, your banner over us is love. You are Jehovah Nissi. And Father, I pray for the church in Ukraine as well. Lord, we we marvel at their commitment to the gospel. 
Lord, we are humbled when we see them gather in prayer in hundreds of people. Would they know the truth of Jehovah Nissi this morning? God, you are your people's banner. And Lord, we bring this prayer to the God who is able to do immeasurably more that we can ever ask or imagine. Father, let it be so, we pray. We ask that heaven would come. We ask for your will to be done. We ask for the name of Jesus to be lifted high above all the evil in this world. God, I thank you that as your people, we're part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. Father, we pray that the the hope of the gospel would take root and take even deeper roots in the people of Ukraine's hearts this morning. Know that nothing can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 17 this morning. And we're reading from verse 8 down to verse 16. It's a a passage that many of us might know from Sunday school. You might even have colored in Moses and his arms being held up by Aaron and her. That's what takes place in Exodus 17. So let's read God's word together. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amen. It's always helpful for us to have a... Old Testament understanding and to um, know some of the Old Testament history as we read through the Bible. It's amazing actually as uh, the further we go on into scripture, the more we need to understand and remember what's taken place prior. That might sound silly, but it really is the case that as we journey towards Jesus and the cross, that we, we, we learn and understand more about what Jesus has done as we reflect on the pages in the Old Testament. 
And, and so it is here with this battle as well. We, if, we've, if we'd read it from Genesis 1 and read it as a, as a storybook right up until now, we might understand uh, more fully uh, who Amalek was and uh, that, he, that he's not just some random dude that's in the wilderness that pounces on the people of Israel, but actually that these, these two um, families, these two people have history. That uh, Amalek was um, the, the grandson of someone called Esau. He's one of Esau's grandsons. And, and this is his descendants, the Amalekites. And we see them um, a number of times throughout the Old Testament. And often they are fighting people or, or, or causing uh, battles to take place. And Israel, we know, is, is one of the... Is, was, Named after one of Isaac's son, you know, Jacob had his name changed to Israel, and that's where we see. So, and, and Jacob and Esau, that they were brothers that, that had rivalry. They, they, they fought. They, there was a bit of heat between the two. So when the Amalekites see the Israelites journeying through the wilderness, we shouldn't really be surprised that they attack them, that they kind of ambush them. And we kind of see that it's an ambush from Deuteronomy 25, where we read of the tactics that the Amalekites used here, which was they were picking off those that were lagging behind. So it was the slowest and the weakest, uh, you know, that would probably be me. I'm not a very fast walker. Um, I would probably be at the back of the pack, and I would have been one of the first ones that the Amalekites would have tried to have hit. We've seen Numbers 24 and Judges 3 that the, the Amalekites were, were well known for wandering as nomads. And, and actually, we, we, we also, scholars say that they were one of the first group of people that domesticized camels. That they, they, they took camels and used them and trained them in order to increase the swiftness of their in, incoming attack. So that they could launch surprise attacks. And Israel is camped here at Rephidim, and the, the Amalekites, or uh, it just says Amalek here, which is the descendants of Amalek, come and attacks the people of Israel. Now, humanly speaking, the Amalekites were much more experienced. They were bigger, stronger, faster, more equipped for battle. And the Hebrew here, when we read it, the way it's constructed, it... it kind of infers that the people that Joshua had to go and assemble together, it wasn't like Avengers assemble and all the superheroes of the people of Israel came and they went to go fight the Amalekites. It was go and gather some men that are able to fight. People that have the strength. So it wasn't even like a really good army that Joshua pulls together. It is just men that could go and fight. So humanly speaking, the the, the people of Amalek, they were, you know, miles, miles more advanced than the people of Israel when it came to warfare and battle and tactics and even, you know, sweeping in and picking off the, the, those that were lagging behind the slowest, the, the most vulnerable. But again, that is humanly speaking. And one of the principles we need to remember as we are people of faith, journeying in faith, that we cannot let what we see humanly speaking, impact how we live. That actually we need to remember, as the guild motto says, whose we are and who we serve. Because when we remember that, it changes everything. It's why 
Moses and Joshua could assemble people together and, you know, go and stand on top of a hill and hold a staff and have confidence, not because of any natural ability in and of themselves, but because who they followed and who they belong to. to. It needs to be our hope and it needs to be our guidance. That's exactly what happens. Joshua, we read in verse 10, he, he does as Moses tells him to do so, and he gets men and he off he goes to fight the Amalekites. And Moses and Aaron and her, they go to the top of a hill. And they stand with Moses stands with this staff of God in his hand. And what I find remarkable about Exodus 17 is that we need to remember. Not what, but who is going before God's people. Every step of the journey, there has been a pillar of cloud and and fire that has led God's people. So in this moment where they're going, you know, through the three days of, of, of no water, it's all part of this test that God is teaching his people. That, that if they trust him, there's there's an abundance in him that he's he's. Uh, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And then we've seen just his provision in the passages prior to this in Exodus 16 with the the, the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven, then water from a rock. But here they're camping in Rephidim. And it's a surprise attack maybe for the people of Israel, but not for their sovereign leader, not for their sovereign God who knew what was going to take place. And I really do believe that in Exodus 17, we have God teaching his people of Israel another lesson here, that even though the enemy might seem bigger than you, that I am greater than anything in this world. I am greater than any tactic the Amalekites will have. I'm greater than any camel and faster than any camel they can domesticize and get ready for war. And God is teaching his people Israel here that even when the enemy seemed too big, that they needed to trust him and trust that he was with them and for them. And is that not a lesson and a principle that we can extract and apply to our own lives? I know what we're praying for the people of Ukraine in this very moment. That as they see an enemy that might look bigger, country-wise, population-wise, that those who turn to the Lord and trust in him will know that he's a refuge in every time of trouble, a very present help in time of aid. And as much as that is true physical in physical war and physical battle, it's also... A principle we need to extract and apply to our lives spiritually as well. That that we know that God is for us. That he is fighting our battles for us. That he's battling in the heavens even in this very moment. For the battles already won. That Jesus already has the victory. We know in this life scripture tells us that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against every principality and power. Which is why 
and this is what God's been teaching me. I've just felt so useless over the last few weeks. You know, when you see the, the images on the news and you just feel so helpless and we can't do anything, we can pray. And there's power in prayer. Prayer is effective. Because we battle against principalities and powers that we just don't see. And we need to remember that even though the enemy might seem bigger, faster, stronger, the God whom we belong to as his people, that he is sovereign and reigns above it all and he's still seated on his throne. And even though we're praying that for the people in Ukraine, it's what we're seeing the church in Ukraine do in this very moment. Is turn to God for help. The boldness and the courage of many men and women and children in the face of such brutality. The, the videos and the images of them gathering for, for prayer meetings and gathering for Bible studies. Gathering to sing praise to God even in the midst of everything. It blows my mind. And it, it, it makes me want to repent for how, how lazy I am in my faith in such, a, such an easy place we live. Where we take so many things for granted. It is utterly astonishing and very humbling to see them gather together to pray and to read scripture. There was a BBC News report, many of you maybe saw it in the last week, um, that spent time... And, and you know, it's, it speaks volumes when a media outlet needs to focus on this, where they spent time exploring the faith of Christians in Ukraine, where they spent a, a, a good chunk of the interviews speaking to people of faith and, and asking them about how they're able to do what they're doing. And the news reporter talked about how many are seeking solace in church. And the news reporter spoke about how their faith is a rock upon which they build their lives. We need to learn from that. And as I watched that news report, they interviewed a military chaplain at a prayer gathering. And this is what he said in his prayer. Against this mean and vile Goliath. Dear Lord, we know the victory will come from you. That military chaplain knew that truth. And Moses and Joshua and the people of Israel knew that truth as well. That as the enemy came close, that God would give them the victory. Friends, the question is often asked about historical events and things that happen. About Whose side God is on? Is God on our side? Is God on their side? Is God on my side? Is God on your side? It's the wrong way of asking that question. And it's the wrong framework for that question. Because it wasn't God that went with the people of Israel. It was the people of Israel that went with God. It's not about God being on our side. It's about us being on his it's his story of salvation. It's his redemption plan. It's him who's building his church. 
It's him who will make the the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So don't ask God to come and be on your side. Say, God, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to journey with you. And maybe this morning, it isn't a physical battle that we're in, but each one of us at some point has known what it means to be in a spiritual battle. You know, sometimes there was a, I once heard an um, Iranian pastor speak. And the church is growing in Iran quicker than many other places in the world. They're seeing revival where people are coming to faith at amazing speed. And this Iranian pastor was asked a question about what he thought about the church in the West. And I was really troubled by his response. Not because I disagreed, but because it made me take stock and and really waken up. And he said that he believed the church in the West is just sleepwalking. Because we've forgotten that we're in a spiritual battle. That we just come, we sing our wee songs, we have our wee prayers, we have a nice wee sermonette, and off we go home. Friends, we are in a spiritual war. Where there is an enemy, we might not be able to see him with our physical eyes, he is prowling. He is prowling. That's why we're told to put on the armor of God every day. To protect ourselves. There's an enemy who's trying to lead us off and take us off the paths of righteousness. He's come to steal. He's come to kill. And he's come to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life. And life in all of its fullness. And the amazing thing is that we put on the spiritual armor of God, but it's God who fights for his people. It's God who does the battling on our behalf. And that's what we see here, where they hold the staff of God above their head. They exalt the Lord. They exalt Yahweh above everything that's taking place. The highest point in that battle was the staff of God. It was the presence of God. Knowing they knew that God was going before them. And this staff was used for to the, when the water came out the rock. It was used when the, the, the Red Sea split in two. It was used during the stories of the plagues. But there was no power in that staff. It was just symbolic of God's presence with them. It was just a vessel. The only way the people of Israel could have the victory was because God was fighting for them. Then verse 12 shows us what happens when the staff began to fall down. When the staff was high, the people of Israel were prevailing. But when the staff started to lower, the Amalekites started to gain ground. They prevailed. Do you know it is time-consuming? And quite frankly, it is really difficult to hold the staff of God sometimes. It's not the easy way out. Gathering to pray and battling spiritually, it costs our energy. It's tiring. We see that when, you know, all Moses was having to do was hold that staff. 
And God was fighting for them. But we see the physical effect it was having on Moses. And I love this image we see in verse 12 of Aaron and her. Where Moses began to become weary. And what Aaron and her do here is they hold his hands up. It is the most beautiful image of the church. Where one is struggling, but his brothers come alongside him and support him. They hold his hands because they knew how important it was that Moses kept pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. It's not just a beautiful image of what it means to be church, what it means to be church family. Supporting each other, helping one another out. Friends, there are moments in my life and in our lives when we feel like we're on top of the world. We feel like I've got all the energy and all the time in the day to hold that staff up high. And to know the, the impact that it has where our faith is soaring. And you can see the staff is above our head. Things are great. But then there are times when things are so difficult and we just feel like we can't take another step in front of the other one. Where we, we know that we're weary, we know we're tired, we know that, do you know, I don't know, I can keep on going. I'm exhausted. It's what Moses felt like. But friends, in that time when we feel weary, I know myself, there are times and I'm just utterly exhausted. And I don't know how I can get through another day. But I know and I can feel the prayers of God's people in a tangible way. I can't explain it. But I just know it. I know that there's others there. And spiritually they're doing here what Aaron and her were doing physically. Where, where people are holding my hands up. They're holding my arms up. And friends, so many of us want to be like Moses. But do you know who I think we should all strive to be like? Is Aaron and her. Holding and supporting one another. One of the most neglected gifts of the Spirit in the church is the gift of encouragement. Sometimes I think that the gift is actually the gift of discouragement. Because that's what you see most happen in churches. Where we moan and we bicker and we complain about this and that. And we've got no good things to say about whatever is taking place. But actually the gift of the Spirit is the gift of encouragement. Supporting and upholding and, and strengthening and encouraging one another. That's what Aaron and her are doing here. They're supporting Moses. It has been known as a people who encourage one another. Who hold each other's arms up so we can keep the staff of God lifted high in this place. And they won. They won the battle. The worldly question would be who had the most important and the most effective role there? Was it Joshua and the people who were on the actual physical battlefield? Was it Moses who was holding the staff? Was it Aaron and her who's holding Moses' hands up? The worldly question would be, who was the most important person there? 
the reality is they all had their part to play. They all had their bit to do. And the fundamental principle and the key thing is that it was God who gave the victory. And this victory leads Moses to build an altar. And he calls it in verse 15, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. So what does that mean? What's the point in a banner? Well, it's, it's raised to celebrate and it's raised to kind of give honor. And the word banner here would quite often what we maybe what I went to initially when I heard banner is that a piece of fabric that's stretched out and it's got the words kind of happy birthday written over it and that's kind of what we think of a banner but actually the word banner here is closer to our understanding of a flag or a pole with a piece of fabric wrapped around it and this word banner is used here within military context and it's often used around military context, this word we have here for banner. And the point of the banner would be, in military context, was that the army would rally round it. They would gather round this pole with a bit of fabric in it. It's where they would go for instructions. It's where they would gather together as an army. And this altar was really named after, I think, the staff that Moses was holding high which was the real signal pole of God's presence with them in the midst of a battle. And that staff is like a prophetic image of the one who would one day be lifted high. Lifted high for us into the air in the hour of his glorification. We read in John chapter 12 these words. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the Lord is our banner. What does that mean? He's the one we go to. He's the one we depend upon. He's the one we gather around. He's our center point. He's the one we rally around in times of trouble. Why? Because he is Jehovah Nissi. He is the Lord, our banner. He's the one who directs us. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who resources and equips us as his people. It's like when Peter, you know, responded to Jesus by saying, Lord, to whom else shall we go? For you have, you alone have the words of eternal life. He is the center point. He's the one we want to congregate round and rally round. When battles come your way, where do you go? It has been Astonishing to see where the church in Ukraine go in their time of trouble. It's straight into the presence of God. Why? Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is their banner. And just in closing, and I'm glad I'm getting to the end. <clears throat> I can't really speak much longer, I don't think, anyway. Even though this is used within military context, our God isn't distant and cold. He's the one who reigns sovereign over you, but he does so with warmth. Causing his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord who is our banner. Song of Solomon says this. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest. So is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. For I am sick with love. His, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. That is who Jehovah Nissi is. He is the one who loves you. And his banner over you is not a military banner. It's a banner of love. Our God fights for us, not because he has to, but because he, he loves you. That's why he fights for you. Because he loves you. And his love took him from this first fight that the people of Israel had to embrace and embark on with the Amalekites to the cross of Calvary to fight the devil himself in which the heel of Jesus was bruised but the skull of the serpent was crushed. Friends, the rallying point for us is the love of God. Knowing that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Knowing that perfect love casts out all fear. Knowing that greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Friends, the one who has fought for us has won for us. And this ultimate battle and victory wasn't on a battlefield in the wilderness. With a man's hands being held up by two others. But was on a hill called Golgotha. Where a man's hands were held in place. By nails in a cross. And he has won the victory for his people. And he remains Jehovah Nissi. The Lord our banner. And his banner over us is love. And we know whose we are. We know who we belong to. I am my beloved's and he is mine. And we know that because it is him who has secured the victory, we can say with all confidence, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Amen. We're going to 